0: From New York City, welcome to Mark to Markets. I'm your host, Mark Penziner. On this podcast, we discuss topics related to your money, markets, and issues near and far from personal finance. You can always reach me at mark.penziner at bernstein.com or call me directly at 212-969-6655. We're at an interesting point in the markets where interest rates, inflation, and bonds have been much of the discussion, and I thought we would turn to that topic today. And to do so, I've invited in Matt Norton. He's a Co-head of Municipal Bonds here at Bernstein. So, Matt, thanks for joining.
1: Absolutely. It's great to be here.
0: Matt, I I think the question on most people's minds when they think about the bond market, not just specifically munis, is what's your forecast for interest rates for the rest of the year? Yes.
1: So it's interesting because this is uh, the first time in the last several years that we're no longer in a rising rate environment. Right. The Federal Reserve has basically said we are not going to raise rates. Um, they want to make sure that inflation gets to their target. They're targeting 2%. Where uh, is it now? Uh, so core inflation has been a, a touch light. Um, headline inflation was a little bit higher last month at 0.4%. But it's been annualizing a little bit under 2%, uh, especially when they look at the measure that they use, uh, core PCE. Um, So it's been a little bit light of their target. And to actually average 2%, at some point, you have to be above 2%. Right, And so they're actually probably not going to raise rates this year, nor will they raise rates next year. Is that appropriate given the state of the economy in your view? Yes. So even though the economy is still rolling along, right, we're still adding jobs, um, there are concerns uh, geopolitically. uh, There's also concerns on trade. Um, You've seen global PMIs come down. And so even though the U.S. economy has been strong, Uh, We saw, you know, how much volatility there could be in the fourth quarter of last year when equity markets went down pretty hard. Uh, So in our view, we think it's absolutely appropriate that they do not raise rates. We don't think they'll raise rates this year or next year. Next year either. Yeah, next year either. Okay. And we think that's absolutely appropriate.
0: So there's a lot of talk about the shape of the yield curve, which for those who are unfamiliar with is if you were to say, what's the maturity of cash? A one-year bond, a five-year bond, a 10-year, a 30-year bond, and you plotted that on a map, you, you, you get some sort of curve.
1: What's the shape of the yield curve today? So the slope of the yield curve is incredibly flat, right? And so what does that mean? Generally, the slope of the yield curve uh, is steep when people think that the Federal Reserve is going to raise interest rates. And historically, when the slope of the yield curve has been flat, that means that investors are concerned about the path of future interest rates, that they ultimately believe that the Federal Reserve will not raise rates that quickly, or in fact, maybe even lower interest rates. And so the yield curve being very flat today uh, is an indication, and the Federal Reserve has telegraphed this, that rates are probably not going to go anywhere anytime soon. Is
0: that different? Now, you're in the muni space. Is, is that true both in the treasury space, corporate space, and municipal space, or are there big differences in that story or really none at all?
1: So in the municipal space, um, it's interesting. The municipal yield curve actually has been uh, steeper than the treasury curve historically. And so if you were to look at the 2s, 10s uh, municipal yield curve slope, uh, it's close to about 40 basis points today, which is uh, steeper than other curves. Uh, the Treasury couple- curve is really flat. The Treasury curve is really, really flat. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, and so you're talking less than 20 basis points in the Treasury world. And so why is the municipal yield curve steeper? Uh, well, generally, municipal invest- and the municipal yield curve 2s, 10s is actually never inverted, uh, where the Treasury curve is inverted 2s, 10s multiple times. So
0: that's important because a lot of our clients wind up in, in their personal accounts I- in the municipal market. And I think most of the press is thinking about an inverted yield curve. They're talking about the treasury market, yes. which is not the market most of our clients are investing in. Absolutely. So that there's, a, there's a dichotomy there, right? Not that the treasury market isn't an indicator, but ultimately our clients are investing in, in the muni curve in most cases.
1: Yes. And why that matters is that uh, when we're active bond portfolio managers, something that we do to add value is we uh, capture rolling down the municipal yield curve. And effectively, what that is, is that the natural progression of a bond price is up if, just through the passage of time. Um, and the steeper the yield curve, the more that the bond price goes up just through the passage of time. And as active managers, um, a steeper yield curve gives us uh, more ability to add value. So, so let me play devil's
0: advocate. If you have a really flat yield curve, what that means is that the money I could get conceptually in the bank is not that much different than what I could get buying a five-year CD or a 10-year municipal bond. So if I'm getting, you tell me the number, 1.2%, 1.3% on on municipal money markets, so think of that as tax-free cash, why even own a a shorter intermediate-duration bond portfolio today?
1: Yes. So the way we like to think about the world is in different scenarios, right? And the Fed has basically said we're not going to raise rates for a good period of time. Uh, So if nothing happens in yields today and rates kind of stay where they are, which is kind of, you know, our base case, uh, you would expect somewhere between two and a quarter, two and a half percent type returns in municipal bonds, which is significantly above what you would get in cash. Now, let's play out a scenario where what if everyone's wrong, right? What if uh, there is a recession? What if, um, you know, yields start plummeting because people are worried about economic growth? Well, now all of a sudden, in cash, what you're going to do is the cash rates going to come down because the Federal Reserve will actually have to cut rates, so your return on cash goes down.
0: So I thought I was getting one three, one four, one five, whatever it is, and that number is going to going to come right down below
1: me. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Whereas in bonds, because uh, if interest rates go down, bond prices go up, you could easily see four, five, five and a half, six percent type returns in an intermediate portfolio, depending on how far yields go down. So it's, a, it's it'll protect you in a recession or economic volatility much more than cash. Will.
0: So if you're building a bond portfolio, it, at least in part for the notion of I'm offsetting equity risk, if I'm not trying to do that, maybe it's different. But if I'm trying to offset equity risk, the argument is that an intermediate bond portfolio is better for that. You're saying there's a world where it's a four five, six percent return and, and cash is going to be one and a half and declining on you.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: So my hedge is actually better owning the, the muni space. Is, is that argument still the same if I say, look, I don't really care about the equity portfolio. I'm trying to make as much as I can in the muni space or, or, or in tax-free income. Does that still hold the logic as to why I should own an intermediate part of the curve as opposed to just having my money in cash? Because I, I think that's an argument for a lot of people today. Hey, I can get 1.5% at the bank or, or or in muni overnight paper. Why even take the risk? So so how do I think about that and how do I think about the risk associated
1: with that? So historically, if you looked over almost every three-year rolling time period in history, and there's been some rising rate times in history, right? Usually cash will beat bonds when rates go up and they go up fast. So let's put aside for a second that the fact that the Federal Reserve said we're not going to raise rates. Fine. Let's put that aside for a second. Okay. So even if you look back to 2004 to 2006, when the Federal Reserve actually raised rates four and a quarter over 25 months. So they went a, a lot. lot, right? lot. <laughs> it's a big number. That's something that's not happening this time, but it's a big number. Even in that time period— um, intermediate municipals basically perform the same as cash did. So over any longer time horizon, the extra yield you get from intermediates, the extra roll you get from intermediates um, overweighs kind of the uh, you know, the lower return that you get on cash. And we believe that'll be the case the same today. So even in rising rates historically, you would need rates to go up much faster than we we're anticipating for cash to actually beat intermediates.
0: So there's obviously some there's obviously some additional risk when I own intermediates versus cash, right? Absolutely. Um I I think the way most people experience that is is loss. Yep. Right? Not conceptually, not what's the volatility number, but but I had X amount of dollars and, and now I have Y. Yep. What what's the there's no way to, I I guess, you know, know this with precision, but but what's the the bad case in in that type of bond portfolio for downside risk, right? You know, equity markets could be down 25% tomorrow. This type of bond portfolio What's that number?
1: So over the course of a year, I, I kind of like to explain things just in terms of, you know, what is a really painful year? Feel year, like, okay. Right? You know, a really painful year in an intermediate bond portfolio might be down a percent uh, and a half, a percent, or maybe a percent and three quarters. But we're not talking down four five, six percent. But that would be a really, really bad year.
0: That's nothing relative to equity. Oh, absolutely, yes. And, yeah. and so you're defining that as a really painful year. But if the year is, forget good for, for bonds, just average, I'm probably going to make more than a percent above cash anyway. Exactly. So my expectation, I'm going to do better than, than a percent, better than cash. If it's terrible, I'm down one, one and a half percent. But that's really got to be, maybe not historically, but a really bad environment.
1: Yeah, that would be a really bad environment for bonds, something that we're not forecasting today.
0: How are you positioning portfolios today?
1: So there's a couple of things that we're, we're kind of always looking at, okay. right? And so one is kind of the maturity spectrum. What does the yield curve look like? What is the best place to position uh, portfolios from a maturity perspective? Traditionally, a lot of people ha- have invested in laddered portfolios. And in the municipal market, interesting thing- uh, Let me
0: just stop for one second, because uh, that's a term that's thrown around a bit. Can can you take one minute just to explain what the ladder portfolio is?
1: Yes. Uh, so a laddered portfolio is a passive uh, municipal bond portfolio that typically invests, you know, 10% of the portfolio in one-year bonds, 10% of the portfolio in two-year bonds, all the way out to 10 years.
0: And passive meaning you you just buy it and you wait till it matures?
1: Yes, absolutely. And then when a bond matures, then you go out and buy another bond.
0: And you're going out, in your example, always buying 10-year bonds, because if everything's aging a year, you always have a a one-year-old bond, a two-year-old bond, a three-year-old, and so out to 10. So So hence the term ladder. Exactly. Okay, so go ahead, sorry.
1: So in a laddered portfolio, um, if you actually went back and looked historically, something that's very interesting is that uh, act, the average active manager beats a laddered portfolio. Why? And the reason is because the municipal bond is so incredible. Municipal bond market is so incredibly inefficient, right? So let's let's look at it. There's okay. a million bonds. Uh, to choose from the municipal bond market, one million, a million, yes, and no, that's not, yeah, I'm not rounding up. That's there's actually a million bonds. The S&P 500
0: from. sounds like a lot. You, you just said a million. Okay, go
1: ahead. Yes, exactly, exactly. Uh, you know, how many units of state and local government are, are in the country? Tens of thousands, right? Um, there's a lot of bonds. You know, ten-year bonds issued with seven-year calls. You know, twenty-year bonds issued with ten-year. There's a lot of different call structures, right? So it's a, a really a lot of bonds to choose from, and so that is a wonderful playground for active managers to be in right? Because there's a lot of inefficiencies out there. And so, you know, what a ladder portfolio does is they invest the same way no matter what the market's doing. Whereas an active manager, if the yield curve is flat today, we'll manage the portfolio differently than we will if the yield curve is steep. Um, depending where we are in the credit cycle, we'll manage the portfolios differently. So uh, to get to your original question about how are we positioned today, uh, we think high-grade bonds should be focused really on the five-year maturity spectrum. Um, So if you're investing in high grades, we don't think it makes sense to buy a lot of long maturity bonds. Municipals are more attractive, kind of um, being more concentrated from a maturity perspective. Uh, From the credit part of it, I think there's been a couple interesting things going on. Uh, And And, and credit means how
0: how good of a bond, how secure of a bond is it, right? A triple A bond being the most secure, uh, a single A bond or lower being less secure, a, a less good issuer.
1: Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And of course, you know, at Bernstein, we're always doing our underlying research. We have research analysts that are looking at the credit quality. We're not just relying on the rating agencies because you know we, we believe that by looking at the, the documents, getting them better data, we, we'll be able to outperform over time, which we have. Um, but from the credit perspective, that is some place where we do think you know eight to fifteen year bonds are more attractive. So the the um, you get a more additional incremental yield relative to a triple A or double A rated bond for buying eight to fifteen year bonds in the credit space. So
0: when your team builds a bond portfolio, you have a, a few questions you've got to answer or any bond portfolio manager has to answer. First, what kind of maturity do I want? A five year maturity average, a seven year or or you would use the term duration. I guess the next question is how do I wanna get there? I could have everything at five years, I could have threes and fives, I could have ones and tens to get to that five to get to that five year average. The third part is this notion of credit. Mm-hmm. And, and so today, how, how do you and your team feel about credit?
1: So, so when you look across the country right now, um, you know, what do you always read? you read bad headlines?
0: Yeah, right? I mean, if I, if I just didn't know much about this space, I would think that municipalities, there's bad news in New Jersey, Connecticut, Illinois, Chicago, that um, municipality finances are terrible. That would be my initial view.
1: Exactly. And because that's absolutely what sells newspapers. Right. 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 And there's always and and let me I'm not going to put those totally aside for a second because there always are going to be problem children in the market. Right. There's always going to be credits that are underperforming. uh, And that's the job of our credit research analyst to get ahead of to make sure that we don't own them or if we do own them, we own them at the appropriate price. But as a whole. The market, um, if you looked at tax revenues, tax revenues are about 30% above pre-crisis highs. So tax revenues have recovered. Then the big question is, have states and local governments, have they actually set aside uh, that money or did they spend it all? Well, rainy day funds for states is the highest level that we've seen in decades. So they've actually built up rainy day funds. Um, When you look at the amount of employees in state and local government, as a percent of the overall U.S. workforce, the number of state and local employees is the lowest level since the 1960s. So since the crisis, state and local governments have laid off workers. Um, At the same time, the overall labor force has been growing. So there is some good news in municipal bonds, and you started to see it in terms of upgrades versus downgrades. There's been several years where there's been more upgrades than downgrades, and we absolutely still believe that this year, Uh, The the number of upgrades will be more than the number of downgrades in the municipal bond market.
0: Do pension liabilities worry you?
1: That is the number one thing uh, that we have debates on in our credit meetings. And the reason for it is uh, because there are some really, really big numbers. um, And it's concentrated in a number of uh, state and local governments. The vast majority of municipalities actually have done a reasonable job funding their pensions some of the pension funding liabilities that have increased have happened because uh, over the last several years, municipalities have actually lowered the assumed rate of returns that they're going to get on their assets. So even though the actual dollar amounts that they have to pay out in the future are are the same, uh, they're assuming that they're going to earn less on their assets. So they're making a more conservative assumption on their assets. So Mm -hmm. that, uh, that actually some of that number has been inflated by just a more reasonable assumption on the asset returns. Um, but, yeah, it absolutely is something that concerns us. Will there be a state that – it's a very long-term problem. Will there be a state that misses a payment in the next 10 years? In our view, absolutely not. So it, is a, yeah, it is a very long-term problem uh, where there will be some localities that run into issues. Absolutely. The city of Chicago has really bad pension liabilities. They're going to have to do something to address it. Um, you know, Hartford recently was taken over. Basically, the liabilities of Hartford were taken over by the state of Connecticut. Will there be these kind of one-off local governments that have issues? Absolutely. But that's where the credit research comes in to make sure that we don't own those in safe portfolios.
0: And and you said there are a million different bonds out there. So, so my understanding is you, you don't have to buy general obligation bonds from state or cities. You can find projects or revenue bonds that that you and your team would prefer
1: yeah absolutely yeah, the, the nice thing about having a big market is that you have a lot of different things to choose from and yeah so we we will underweight those types of issuers that we think are going to run into problems
0: in 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 spite of some of these headline concerns my understanding is the data shows that demand for municipal bonds is is really high can can you talk a bit about the amount of supply that's being put out there and then the the demand side from investors
1: so supply has been incredibly light. Um, so this year will actually be the second consecutive year that the municipal bond market will shrink. Uh, somewhere between fifty and seventy-five billion dollars are estimates about how much the market will shrink. So
0: that means more bonds are coming due or being called than are being issued. So that the market's literally getting smaller. Exactly. Okay.
1: Exactly. And if you were to look over the last ten years, the municipal bond market is roughly the same size it's been. Uh, whereas the U.S. Treasury market's tripled in size and corporate debt has doubled in size.
0: Right. The U.S. government has just expanded the balance sheet endlessly, right? So there's a heck of a lot more sovereign debt all out there. Exactly. But the
1: municipal bond market has kind of bucked the trend, right? And so from a supply standpoint, we don't believe that there's going to be substantial uh, supply, substantial issuance. Uh, From the demand perspective, you've seen a lot of demand. $27 billion has flowed into municipal bond mutual funds this year. Uh, just that, if you stop the year right now, that would be one of the largest, the top 10 largest years on record uh, for inflows. In four months? In four months. Wow. Yes. And there's a couple reasons for that. One, uh, I think the fourth quarter of last year basically you know, woke people up and said, oh, well, if my equity portfolio is going to have this kind of volatility, I want to own some bonds to offset that volatility. Makes sense. Right. Tax reform. Um, you know, given the elimination of state and local tax deductions, you've seen people kind of try to hide from taxes by going into municipal bonds. Yep, and and the, the Federal Reserve also saying we're not going to raise rates. Uh, that also has contributed to people being more comfortable owning bonds. So,
0: got to be good for municipal bond pricing when the supply demand balance is is off kilter. Absolutely. Um, another another question we were talking about some problem children this story has evolved a lot over the last I don't know six 12 months Puerto Rico has been in the headlines not been in the headlines Uh, I guess two-part question one where does the Puerto Rico story stand now and then what is your team's view of 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 Puerto Rico as an investment
1: Puerto Rico um, where does it stand today they're starting to actually come to deals in terms of the restructurings. It's been a very, very long process, right? started in uh, 2013. A lot of the bond prices started to fall dramatically, uh, and they have had a really hard time of actually coming to an agreement on what the restructuring is going to look like. Obviously, uh, you know, people who live in Puerto Rico they want uh, low dollar price restructurings because that leaves more revenue that comes to them and not goes off island, uh, whereas bondholders obviously want the highest recovery possible. So the
0: balance here is, you know, we we use this fancy term restructuring, right? But, but it's really a battle between if these bonds can be— I don't mean this technically, but redeemed mm-hmm. at fifty cents on the dollar that saves fifty cents of liability for the residents of Puerto Rico, and then that money can use be used for hospitals, roads, w- whatever. Exactly. If you're a bondholder, you don't want to redeem at fifty cents on a dollar. You want to redeem at a dollar on the dollar. Yes. The problem is that doesn't leave Puerto Rico with a whole lot of money left. Exactly. So that so that legal term right that that restructuring is is really a battle of 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 competing interests.
1: Yes, who who there's there's one pool of money, and how do you divvy up? That how do you divvy it up, right? Exactly. And so what's what's happened so far? So the there's been a couple things that have been restructured. The sales tax bonds have been restructured. Uh, there was an agreement between um, basically the board that was appointed uh, and bondholders that restructured for kind of mid seventies on average. Okay, uh, and those bonds are now actually paying coupons. Uh, they were you you were delivered a bunch of new bonds in terms in re, in re- a replacement of your QSIFs that you owned. And so that, that is actually a paying bond that's, you know, we think probably will pay for some time. And
0: some Puerto Rico bonds missed payment, correct?
1: Uh, yeah, the vast majority of the vast Puerto Rico bonds yep. missed payment. Yep. Uh, and the, also the government development bank bonds have also been restructured. So there's two major things that have been restructured. What has not been is the Electric Power Authority. Uh, that probably is on the docket next. And then also just the, the big one, the general obligation. That has not been restructured either, and there's a lot of competing interests, a lot of court cases going on, uh, litigation to try to throw out the whole board. Uh, so there's a lot of political uncertainty, and you know, from our perspective, uh, we think that over the next several years, we think Puerto Rico will receive, uh, and they will receive a lot of money from the federal government from disaster recovery aid. Uh, insurance money after the hurricanes uh, a year and a half ago, two years ago. Uh, So a lot of that money is going to come in. That will rebuild a lot of certain things. The economy is actually going to look very strong probably over the next three to five years.
0: Strong relative to where it was? Strong
1: relative to where it was. And just when you're receiving almost 100% of GDP in disaster aid, that will help stimulate the economy in the short run. The long-run problems are absolutely still there. Population is leaving. Working-age population is leaving. Uh, there's not as many people as there were 10 or 15 years ago to repay the debt, and that's a really bad recipe uh, for bondholders over the long run. So we think short-term, uh, in a high-yield portfolio, th- this should not never go in an investment-grade portfolio. So
0: if you're building that high-quality portfolio you talked about before to offset equity risk, pass.
1: Yes, yes. does not belong there. <laughs> there's t- so much volatility. It does not belong there.
0: If you're buying a bond portfolio to – to make some money, return higher yield, you want to take some risk, would you buy a little bit of it?
1: Yes, and not as a long-term investment, okay. but we do believe that over the next 3 to 5 years, which is, you know, which I guess is a reasonably long time, the economy is going to come in, the restructured bonds are going to pay, uh, you know, the sales tax bonds that I mentioned, they they should pay coupons, they have coverage for a number of years. Uh, but is it something that you have a lot of degree of certainty 10, 15 years down the road? Probably w- we don't think it's a good investment for that long. So uh, something that will probably pay for the short term to intermediate term. But longer term, we still have major concerns.
0: Uh, la- last question, switching gears. I-, I-, I get a number of questions from people about trading in the municipal bond market. There-, there is no New York Stock Exchange. There is no NASDAQ. So so trading in the bond markets is is less transparent than than maybe in the equity markets. Can you give a feel for what the cost of trading in the bond market might be?
1: If you're transacting uh, like we do uh, in in large institutional quantities, uh, in in higher quality bonds, uh, the the transaction costs are incredibly light. The bid offers are are very small. So,
0: so the bid offer meaning, I, I say to you, Matt, I, I'll say this bond for a hundred, and you come back and you say I'll do it for a hundred and two pennies. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Not a big difference. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So very very small transaction costs when you are trading in small quantities, which is, you know, traditionally what a lot of investors did was, you know, when we talked about laddered portfolios, they'd go out and they'd trade in small quantities. I'll buy 20,000 of a one year, 20,000 of a two year. That's when you really uh, don't get very good pricing when you're trading individually in very small quantities. The, The markup there can be or the, the difference between what you actually goes into your portfolio at versus what an institution could buy the bond at could be one and a half to two percentage points. It's That's a, really a lot, and then that, that,
0: that, that cuts into your yield, right? That
1: cuts into your yield, that cuts into your return, absolutely. And then you can't actively manage the portfolio because to get out of those, then you have to do that same thing all over again where you you know take that big price hit again
0: and if the credit or interest rate environment has changed you're kind of stuck you got to just let this ladder unwind and it could be an entirely different environment three five ten years from now when you, when you get the opportunity to trade out of that bond absolutely Matt any uh, last words of wisdom before we move on
1: no I, I think that um, you know I think with the interest rate outlook we talked about pretty benign credit quality municipalities are good and um, we still think municipals offer a really good place for stable Um, offset to equity, volatility, and and tax-free income.
0: And I'll ask you, on the high-quality bond portfolios you've talked to much about today, what's your expectation for return over, you pick the time frame, one, two, three years?
1: So over the next year, uh, we think two and a quarter to two and a half is reasonable. Tax-free. Tax-free. Got it.
0: Matt, this was really informative. I appreciate you taking the time. To our listeners, any questions on this or any other topic, I can be reached at mark.pensner at bernstein.com or 212-969-6655. Make sure to check this and other episodes of Mark to Markets out. Like us on iTunes or wherever you catch this podcast. Until next time.